today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Sin causes suffering. Sin causes separation. Sin brings about a division between divinity and humanity. And Isaiah declares to us, it's your iniquities that have separated you from God. It's your sins that have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It was these very sins, these very iniquities that were then laid upon our Savior. He, prayed, he paid the price for our sin. And that price was death, but it was also separation from the Father. Jesus and his Father were one throughout all of eternity leading up to the cross. As severe as the physical pain was, the spiritual pain of being torn from unity with his Father is impossible for us to imagine. As Pastor David tells us in today's message, our sin was laid upon him and he suffered the punishment we deserve. Physical and spiritual death resulting in separation from God. But that wasn't the end. He paid the price for our sin, then rose, conquered death, and secured eternal life for all who believe in Him. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, The Seven Last Sayings. As he hung on the cross, the physical, the emotional strain, now getting the best of him, his human body was dying. Then we read in John 19, I thirst. And then at, shortly after that, he declares the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in the very last few moments after his death, while the darkness still covering everything, Jesus spoke out those last two phrases, the last two phrases declaring the completion of his mission on earth and his final declaration of obedience and victory as he cries out, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit or commend my spirit. As Jesus hung on the cross, in those earliest stages in particular, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you and the souls of mankind everywhere, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He was thinking about the oppressed as well as the oppressor. His heart and his love went out to all of those that were suffering in, the, in this life as well as for those that brought about that suffering. That's why with all the honesty and the love and the concern, he could cry out at that point. He cried out to the Father on behalf of his executioners. Again, blows my mind. I cannot even imagine that. His first words that we read there that he declares, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But really, who is he speaking about? Back in verses 34 through 37, 
says that as he hung on the cross, he made his plea to the Father in heaven. The soldiers that were carrying out his crucifixion, verse 34 says that while he was hanging on the cross, they divided his garments and they cast lots. The people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them, they sneered saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king, the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Prophet Isaiah had it really clear. He had clear the understanding of what the heart of Christ was. Because even in the midst of his suffering, Isaiah 53, 12 tells us that he made intercession for the transgressors. But don't be confused. It wasn't just the Roman soldiers that were responsible. It wasn't even just the Jewish leadership that was responsible. The Apostle Paul expands that list of sinners when Paul in Romans 3.23 declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He was interceding for the transgressors. How many of you here this morning are transgressors? Yeah, amen. The rest of you need to pray about that because you are. And he was interceding for you. He knew that his death wasn't just for that hour. His death wasn't just for that people. His death was for people of all ages, for all time, in order that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you and I, in the ignorance of our own sin, we don't really truly know what we're doing. We don't realize the impact that that makes in our relationship with a most holy God. It was Peter that says, it's done in ignorance. The problem is, is ignorance is no excuse. Through the death of Christ, forgiveness can be obtained. Through the plea of Christ, salvation was offered when he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And now brings us to the second saying of Christ. As he's hanging there, the two criminals, the thieves on, on either side of them, we spoke about this last week, that one of them began to mock him, and the other one came again in, in support of Christ. Man, you don't, you, you don't have a clue what you're saying. You know that we are both guilty. We're getting what we deserve, but not this man. In the midst of all of that foolishness, in, in the midst of that mocking, the one came and recognized that there was something special about this man that they called the king of the Jews. And he had heard the mockings. And yet the very presence of Jesus moved his life. And his heart was changed as he expressed to Christ, again, the, the understanding that I know that, that there is a kingdom that you have and you will be reigning and ruling in your kingdom. As he spoke there in Luke 23, verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now you cannot escape the irony of the truth of Jesus' love for those who humbly seek him. As the crowds continued their mocking, as they continued their insults, as they continued even spitting on him, Jesus never replied to their calls at all, except, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And yet when this one man cries out in agony, he seeks the Lord, he humbly confesses his need, then Jesus responded to him. He responded with forgiveness and assurance to that thief. 
We need to know. We need to understand that truth today, that when we turn with humility, when we turn with confession, when we turn with repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging the need in our life, he not only hears our cry, but he responds with that same heart, that heart of love, that heart of compassion, and that heart of forgiveness. Our God desires that all men would be reconciled to him. And that reconciliation is only available through the Lord Jesus Christ when we call out by faith to him. How many of us are like the thieves that are on the cross? Consider that today. And I don't doubt that even in this crowd this morning, maybe there is a representation of both of those thieves here today. Some that are still in rebellion, some that are still in sin. You've heard the claims of Jesus. You've heard the, the, the claims of forgiveness that's been offered through him. And yet you continue to stand apart and by your very actions, you're mocking the very one who gave his life for you. And yet perhaps seated right next to you this morning are those that through recognition, and the conviction of their own sin, they've turned in repentance. They, 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 they've sought God's favor. They sought God's forgiveness. I guess my question this morning to you is, how can two so close hear the same message, experience the same drawings of the Holy Spirit, and yet experience such drastically different outcomes? It's a question I ask myself as a pastor every week as I see people come in and out of this building. Some, I know, man, you're, you're gloriously saved. Others that you wonder, man, does, does this individual really and truly know Christ or is church just a habit, church just an action, some religious ceremony for them? And yet they hear the same message week after week after week and yet by the hardness of their heart, they mock the compassion of God. They spit in the very face of God because they don't turn their lives over to the truth of God. Where are you at this morning? We're all thieves. We're all guilty as charged. But who has turned in faith to receive the very hope, the very compassion, the very forgiveness that God offers? We move to the third saying of Christ here. He acknowledges his care for his own mother, Mary. You remember the prophecy that was given to Mary. Remember when Jesus was a baby. Remember back when we were in Luke 2? That was about 12 years ago, I think. Uh, actually, we've been in Luke for a long time, I know. But in Luke 2, after Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph brought Jesus there to Jerusalem into the temple to, again, as the word says, to do for him according to the custom of the law. And while they were there, they were met by an old man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon came up, and Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And then he says, and yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Surely that sword had to be piercing Mary's heart that day as she stood there at the foot of the cross, seeing her son being crucified, seeing her son going through so much agony and pain. She had seen so much already. She had heard so much already. The word tells us all through Mary's life, whenever anything was spoken of about the Lord Jesus, says that she pondered these things 
in her heart. I believe that she was pondering those things in her heart even that day as she saw her son hanging on the cross. Even then, I don't believe that she could have even fathomed how that day would have ever come about. How that son would have had to have gone through so much torment. Jesus looked down at her, and in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his agony, he went, his heart went out to her. She was there at the place of execution, standing next to the apostle John, the only apostle that was close at hand. And it's from John's gospel account that we read in John 19. They stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, and that's John, that's John's way of signing his name, the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. The disciple whom he loved, that was John. And again, we look and see that Jesus wanted to be certain that his mother was carefully looked after, carefully cared for. And some say, well, that, that even shows that Jesus was her only son, that she didn't have any other children. But yet, beloved, I want to submit to you that his half-brothers and his half-sisters didn't acknowledge him as Messiah at this point in time. It wasn't until after the resurrection that suddenly their eyes were opened. And I believe that as Jesus looked at that, he understood that he, they could not be trusted to rightly care for his mother, and so Jesus appointed John to care for her. Following that declaration, there was probably a time of silence, as I said. I believe that there was a long time in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that exhaustion, as he's hanging there on the cross. It's at this point that we now move into what I look at as the second section of these seven sayings of Christ. It was now about the time of the sixth hour or noon. Jesus had already been hanging on the cross for three hours. And remember, this is after all the beating, the scourging, the hitting, the plucking of the beard, everything. He was hanging there on the cross for three hours, his body going into shock, going into dehydration and darkness covering over all the earth until the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon. And it says it was at that point in time here in Luke we read that the veil of the temple was torn in two. John gives us, I believe, what is the fourth saying of Jesus in John chapter 19 beginning in verse 28. It says that after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture must be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it in, on hyssop and put it on his mouth. Some say that at this point in time, Jesus was working to fulfill the prophecy of the psalmist. I don't believe that that's the case. I don't think that Jesus was trying to fulfill anything. If you really think about and consider the fact of his humanity and all that he's going through right there, I believe that what was going on, there was a physical need and in crying out with a desire to take care of that natural and physical need, he actually fulfilled prophecy at that point in time. Psalm 69, 21 declares, for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. I don't believe that Jesus was trying to set up the fulfillment. I believe that the prophecy was fulfilled in the midst of his suffering. And it's amazing to consider how this one who had taught 
the people earlier on in his ministry. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled is now thirsty himself. The very one who told that Samaritan woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that he provides will never thirst again, but the water that he shall provide will become in them a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And now as he hangs on the cross, he thirsts. The very one who cried out to the multitude saying, if anyone thirsts, let them come unto me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his mouth will flow rivers of living water. And he is now overcome with thirst. After receiving the, the sponge with sour wine, put it to his mouth. Matthew shares with us there now the fifth saying of Christ. In Matthew 27, 46, Matthew tells us that about the ninth hour at about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so much has been shared about this statement of Jesus. How could it even be possible that God would forsake God? That's another thing dealing with the crucifixion that my mind just cannot, I, I, I can't comprehend that. But yet the cross was a time of severe mercy, severe unto Christ, merciful to you and I. The payment must be paid. The debt must be cleared. The sin of the world must be dealt with. And it was impossible for the holiness of God to be a partaker of sin. And somehow in the mystery of divinity and of the Trinity, the Father had to separate himself from the Son as he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sin causes suffering. Sin causes separation. Sin brings about a division between divinity and humanity. And Isaiah declares to us, it's your iniquities that have separated you from God. It's your sins that have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It was these very sins, these very iniquities that were then laid upon our Savior. He, pray, he paid the price for our sin. And that price was death, but it was also separation from the Father. From all eternity past, He and the Father had been together, even as one. I can't even begin to comprehend the power of that statement. They were one. And now for this point, in the midst of eternity past and eternity future, there's a breaking of that. You and I can't even comprehend that kind of a relationship, that kind of oneness. But yet that's what our Savior experienced in the midst of that. So much that he cried out those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In order for the payment to be made in full, for your sin, for my sin, for the fullness of humanity's sinfulness, all of that had to be laid on the Son. And as he gave himself as a sacrifice to become our Savior, there's no other way. There was a point, there was a break. The two final sayings of Jesus would have happened probably only moments prior to his final breath. 
We don't have time to go over all of them today, but during the events of this day, as these events unfolded, Jesus actually fulfilled 25 different messianic prophecies even while he was there from the point in time of his arrest all the way to the point of his death. But now here he is, he's breathing his last. All the work of the Father that had had commanded him to do has been accomplished, and that's why he can say it is finished. John 19.30 is the one, declares that Jesus proclaimed, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. It is finished. That's a Greek, uh, or the Greek word there is, to Telestai, and it means it's finished. It's it stands finished. It'll always be finished. There's no resurrecting again of what needs to be finished because what he did was complete and total once for all, even as the writer of Hebrews declares to us. Much more is included than the simple completion of his suffering. It's not just that I, it's finished. I'm I'm done for. I, it's all over for me. No, there was something much deeper than that. In the Old Testament, there were types and prophecies that were now fulfilled, and that once for all sacrifice for sin has now been completed. That very word to Telestai is unfamiliar to us, even the concept of it, but it was used by various people in everyday life in those days. A servant would use use it when he was reporting to his or her master, I've completed the work that you've assigned for me. To Telestai, I'm I'm done with it. Everything is completed. When a priest examined an animal that was ready for sacrifice, this was the word that was applied. I've examined everything is ready, it's finished. He can go and be sacrificed. Perhaps the most meaningful understanding of tetelestai is how it's used actually by the merchants. They would write tetelestai over a bill. The debt has been paid, it's accomplished. No other payment needs to be made. No other sacrifice needs to be given. No amount can add to this because it's completely done. And when Jesus gave himself on the cross, he fully met the righteous demands of a holy law. He paid our debt in full. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could ever take away sins. They simply covered over the sins for a time. And every year the priest had to go back in and offer a new offering, one for himself and one for the people. But here the Lamb of God, the precious, innocent Lamb of God shed his blood and that blood can take away the sins of the world. Jesus was now free to declare the last of these seven words. Luke tells us here in 23, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He had done all that was necessary. All that was necessary for you and I to receive the forgiveness that only comes through faith in him. It only comes in the fact that God looks at us and he no longer sees us as sin, but he sees us as washed in the blood. He sees the blood stains just as the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice over the, over the Ark of the Covenant, which within the Ark of the Covenant were the tablets of the law and the sprinkling of the blood of that sacrifice. As God looked down upon the law, he would see the blood of the sacrifice and through that knowing that the law had been 
completed and accomplished. Now, beloved, we are sprinkled with the precious blood of Christ. And when God looks at you and I, he doesn't look at us in our own merits. He doesn't look at us uh, in our own deeds. He looks at us through the blood of Christ for all those that would call upon the Lord. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliche, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.